The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne Read by Mary Woods Copyright 2008 Loudlit.org Chapter 19 The Child at the Brookside Thou wilt love her dearly, repeated Hester Prynne, as she and the minister sat watching little Pearl. Dost thou not think her beautiful, and see with what natural skill she has made those simple flowers adorn her? Had she gathered pearls and diamonds and rubies in the wood, they could not have become her better. She is a splendid child, but I know whose brow she has. Dost thou know, Hester? said Arthur Dimsdale, with an unquiet smile, that this dear child, tripping about always at thy side, hath caused me many an alarm. Methought, O oh, Hester, what a thought is that, and how terrible to dread it, that my own features were partly repeated in her face, and so strikingly that the world might see them. But she is mostly thine. No, no, not mostly, answered the mother with a tender smile. A little longer, and thou needest not to be afraid to trace whose child she is. But how strangely beautiful she looks with those wild flowers in her hair. It is as if one of the fairies, whom we left in dear old England, had decked her out to meet us. It was with a feeling which neither of them had ever before experienced that they sat and watched Pearl's slow advance. In her was visible the tide that united them, she had been offered to the world these seven past years as the living hieroglyphic in which was revealed the secret they so darkly sought to hide. All written in this symbol, all plainly manifest, had there been a prophet or magician skilled to read the character of flame. And Pearl was the oneness of their being. Be the foregone evil what it might, how could they doubt that their earthly lives and future destinies were conjoined when they beheld at once the material union and the spiritual idea in whom they met and were to dwell immortally together. Thoughts like these, and perhaps other thoughts which they did not acknowledge or define, threw an awe about the child as she came onward. Let her see nothing strange, no passion or eagerness in thy way of accosting her, whispered Hester. Our Pearl is a fitful and fantastic little elf sometimes. Especially she is generally intolerant of emotion when she does not fully comprehend the why and wherefore. But the child hath strong affections. She loves me and will love thee. Thou canst not think, said the minister, glancing aside at Hester Prynne, how my heart dreads this interview and yearns for it. But in truth, as I already told thee, Children are not readily won to be familiar with me. They will not climb my knee, nor prattle in my ear, nor answer to my smile, but stand apart and eye me strangely. Even little babes, when I take them in my arms, weep bitterly. Yet Pearl, twice in her little lifetime, hath been kind to me. The first time, thou knowest it well. The last was when thou ledst her with thee to the house of yonder stern old governor." "'And thou didst plead so bravely in her behalf, and mine,' answered the mother. "'I remember it. And so shall little Pearl. Fear nothing. She may be strange and shy at first, but will soon learn to love thee.' By this time Pearl had reached the margin of the brook, 
and stood on the further side, gazing silently at Hester and the clergyman, who still sat together on the mossy tree trunk, waiting to receive her. Just where she had paused, the brook chanced to form a pool so smooth and quiet that it reflected a perfect image of her little figure, and all the brilliant picturesqueness of her beauty in its adornment of flowers and wreathed foliage, but more refined and spiritualized than the reality. This image, so nearly identical with the living pearl, seemed to communicate somewhat of its own shadowy and intangible quality to the child herself. It was strange, the way in which Pearl stood, looking so steadfastly at them through the dim medium of the forest gloom, herself meanwhile all glorified with a ray of sunshine that was attracted thitherward as by a certain sympathy. In the brook beneath stood another child, another and the same, with likewise its ray of golden light. Hester felt herself in some indistinct and tantalizing manner, estranged from Pearl, as if the child in her lonely ramble through the forest had strayed out of the sphere in which she and her mother dwelt together, and was now vainly seeking to return to it. There were both truth and error in the impression. The child and mother were estranged, but through Hester's fault, not Pearl's. Since the latter rambled from her side, another inmate had been admitted within the circle of the mother's feelings, and so modified the aspect of them all that Pearl, the returning wanderer, could not find her wanted place, and hardly knew where she was. "'I have a strange fancy,' observed the sensitive minister, "'that this brook is the boundary between two worlds, and that thou canst never meet thy Pearl again. Or is she an elfish spirit, who, as the legends of our childhood taught us, is forbidden to cross a running stream?' Pray hasten her, for this delay has already imparted a tremor to my nerves. Come, dearest child, said Hester encouragingly, and stretching out both her arms. How slow thou art! When hast thou been so sluggish before now? Here is a friend of mine, who must be thy friend also. Thou wilt have twice as much love henceforward as thy mother alone could give thee. Leap across the brook and come to us. Thou canst leap like a young deer. Pearl, without responding in any manner to these honey-sweet expressions, remained on the other side of the brook. Now she fixed her bright wild eyes on her mother, now on the minister, and now included them both in the same glance, as if to detect and explain to herself the relation which they bore to one another. For some unaccountable reason, as Arthur Dimsdale felt the child's eyes upon himself, his hand— with that gesture so habitual as to have become involuntary, stole over his heart. At length, assuming a singular air of authority, Pearl stretched out her hand, with the small forefinger extended, and pointing evidently towards her mother's breast. And beneath, in the mirror of the brook, there was the flower-girdled and sunny image of little Pearl pointing her small forefinger too. "'Thou strange child!' "'Why dost thou not come to me?' exclaimed Hester. Pearl still pointed with her forefinger, and a frown gathered on her brow, the more impressive from the childish, the almost baby-like aspect of the features that conveyed it. As her mother still kept beckoning to her and arraying her face in a holiday suit of unaccustomed smiles, the child stamped her foot with a yet more imperious look and gesture— in the brook again was the fantastic beauty of the image, 
with its reflected frown, its pointed finger, and imperious gesture, giving emphasis to the aspect of little Pearl. "'Hasten, Pearl, or I shall be angry with thee!' cried Hester Prynne, who, however, inured to such behavior on the elf-child's part at other seasons, was naturally anxious for a more seemly deportment now. "'Leap across the brook, naughty child, and run hither, else I must come to thee!' But Pearl, not a whit startled at her mother's threats any more than mollified by her entreaties, now suddenly burst into a fit of passion, gesticulating violently and throwing her small figure into the most extravagant contortions. She accompanied this wild outbreak with piercing shrieks, which the woods reverberated on all sides, so that, alone as she was in her childish and unreasonable wrath, it seemed as if a hidden multitude were lending her their sympathy and encouragement. Seen in the brook once more was the shadowy wrath of Pearl's image, crowned and girdled with flowers, but stamping its foot, wildly gesticulating, and in the midst of all still pointing its small forefinger at Hester's bosom. "'I see what ails the child,' whispered Hester to the clergyman, and turning pale in spite of a strong effort to conceal her trouble and annoyance— Children will not abide any, the slightest change in the accustomed aspect of things that are daily before their eyes. Pearl misses something that she has always seen me wear. I pray you, answered the minister, if thou hast any means of pacifying the child, do it forthwith, save it were the cankered wrath of an old witch like Mistress Hibbins, added he, attempting to smile. I know nothing that I would not sooner encounter than this passion in a child. In Pearl's young beauty, as in the wrinkled witch, it has a preternatural effect. Pacify her if thou lovest me. Hester turned again towards Pearl, with a crimson blush upon her cheek, a conscious glance aside the clergyman, and then a heavy sigh, while even before she had time to speak, the blush yielded to a deadly pallor. Pearl! said she sadly. Look down at thy feet, there before thee, on the hither side of the brook. The child turned her eyes to the point indicated, and there lay the scarlet letter, so close upon the margin of the stream that the gold embroidery was reflected in it. Bring it hither, said Hester. Come thou and take it up, answered Pearl. Was ever such a child, observed Hester aside to the minister, Oh, I have much to tell thee about her, but in very truth she is right as regards this hateful token. I must bear its torture yet a little longer, only a few days longer, until we shall have left this region, and look back hither as to a land which we have dreamed of. The forest cannot hide it. The mid-ocean shall take it from my hand and swallow it up forever. With these words she advanced to the margin of the brook, took up the scarlet letter, and fastened it again into her bosom. Hopefully, but a moment ago, as Hester had spoken of drowning it in the deep sea, there was a sense of inevitable doom upon her as she thus received back this deadly symbol from the hand of fate. She had flung it into infinite space, she had drawn an hour's free breath, and here again was the scarlet misery glittering on the old spot. So it ever is, whether thus typified or no, that an evil deed invests itself with the character of doom. Hester next gathered up the heavy tresses of her hair and confined them beneath her cap. 
as if there were a withering spell in the sad letter, her beauty, the warmth and richness of her womanhood, departed like fading sunshine, and a gray shadow seemed to fall across her. When the dreary change was wrought, she extended her hand to Pearl. "'Dost thou know thy mother now, child?' asked she reproachfully, but with a subdued tone. "'Wilt thou come across the brook and own thy mother, now that she has her shame upon her, now that she is sad?' "'Yes, now I will,' answered the child, bounding across the brook and clasping Hester in her arms. "'Now thou art my mother indeed.' and I am thy little pearl. In a mood of tenderness that was not usual with her, she drew down her mother's head and kissed her brow and both her cheeks. But then, by a kind of necessity that always impelled this child to alloy whatever comfort she might chance to give with a throb of anguish, Pearl put up her mouth and kissed the scarlet letter too. That was not kind, said Hester, when thou hast shown me a little love, thou mockest me. Why doth the minister sit yonder? asked Pearl. He waits to welcome thee, replied her mother. Come thou, and entreat his blessing. He loves thee, my little Pearl, and loves thy mother too. Wilt thou not love him? Come, he longs to greet thee. Doth he love us? said Pearl, looking up with acute intelligence into her mother's face. Will he go back with us, hand in hand, we three together into the town? Not now, my child, answered Hester, but in days to come he will walk hand in hand with us. We will have a home and fireside of our own, and thou shalt sit upon his knee, and he will teach thee many things, and love thee dearly. Thou wilt love him, wilt thou not? And will he always keep his hand over his heart? inquired Pearl. "'Foolish child, what a question is that!' exclaimed her mother. "'Come and ask his blessing.' But whether influenced by the jealousy that seems instinctive with every petted child towards a dangerous rival, or from whatever caprice of her freakish nature, Pearl would show no favor to the clergyman. It was only by an exertion of force that her mother brought her up to him, hanging back and manifesting her reluctance by odd grimaces— of which, ever since her babyhood, she had possessed a singular variety and could transform her mobile physiognomy into a series of different aspects, with a new mischief in them each and all. The minister, painfully embarrassed, but hoping that a kiss might prove a talisman to admit him into the child's kindlier regards, bent forward and impressed one on her brow. Hereupon Pearl broke away from her mother, and running to the brook, stooped over it and bathed her forehead, until the unwelcome kiss was quite washed off and diffused through a long lapse of the gliding water. She then remained apart, silently watching Hester and the clergyman, while they talked together and made such arrangements as were suggested by their new position and the purposes soon to be fulfilled. And now this fateful interview had come to a close. The dell was to be left in solitude among its dark old trees, which, with their multitudinous tongues, would whisper long of what had passed there, and no mortal be the wiser. And the melancholy brook would add this other tale to the mystery, with which its little heart was already overburdened, and whereof it still kept up a murmuring babble, with not a whit more cheerfulness of tone 
than for ages heretofore. Thank you for downloading Loudlit.org's production of The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Performed by Mary Woods. This production was made possible by the generous support of Gordon W. Draper, Lois and Will Yates, Teresa Mahoney, and Todd Fedor. MP3 downloads of The Scarlet Letter made possible by donations to loudlit.org. Thank you.